It's All Good in the Hood is produced on Treaty 6 territory, a treaty that shall last as long as the sun shines, the wind blows, and the rivers flow. Hello, friends and neighbors. It's Nicola, and welcome to Episode 5 of It's All Good in the Hood. This episode is called It's Not Always Sunny. Just a quick warning, this episode has some swearing in it, so don't listen to it around the kids. Okay. I have been silent for a couple months now due to illness and surgery, but I am back and I'm feeling a lot better. Also, I've been in a bit of a quandary about this episode. My purpose of doing this podcast is to highlight that all that is wonderful and fantastic about our neighborhood, to, to give an opposing view of what people think of our inner city community. But this particular episode deviates a little away from the sunshiny path that I like to usually tread with my episodes. And there is a reason for this. The reason is there are people in our community who are constantly dealing with extremely negative behavior from problem properties and other such issues. These are real issues. And I don't want to ignore what others are going through just because I am lucky to be a bit more removed from it. On the one hand, our neighborhood doesn't need any more shade thrown on it. On the other hand, Is it really fair for our neighbors who are struggling with these problem properties and continued criminal activities to suffer and be ignored? So I wanted to make sure I got at least one podcast in where I try to honor some of those experiences. Also, in the last few months, there appeared to have been an increase in reported crimes in all of our different social media groups that we use in the the community. But I don't want to jump to conclusions. There could be a reason why there's an increased amount of reporting on social media. However, I ran some numbers, and it's interesting. Now, for me, I'm more removed from some of the main thoroughfares. 95th Street, 97th Street, 82nd Street, 118th Ave, 111th Ave. And the closer you are to these particular roads, the more likely you are to experience various criminal or negative activities. And some people in our community have been experiencing these things for a very long time. And many of them get fed up and move or get fed up, try to deal with it, get more fed up. And it's just this constant cycle of things not getting better. Now, to make it a little bit uh, personal... I have had some bad experiences in the neighborhood. Some of them are pretty common. My house has been broken into twice. Well, I've lived here for 12 years and it's quite common throughout the city to have your house broken into. I've had things stolen from my yard. Again, that can happen anywhere in the city. But I've also had my block shut down twice by the SWAT team for a weapons complaint. In both situations, nobody was hurt. Situation resolved, street back open, there we go. It's a little less common in other neighborhoods. I've also been grabbed by the shoulders by an inebriated man a few blocks away from my home and I had to literally wrestle out of his grasp and push him away to be safe. This could happen anywhere downtown, so it's not particular to my neighborhood, but it wasn't fun. There's also been um, instances of weapons-related activities on the corner of my block. Um, one guy was chasing two people with a knife and yelling at them and I did have to intervene and because I didn't want anybody to get stabbed. That resolved itself. See, all these things I've experienced, they've resolved themselves. And they're few and far between, really. But the closer that people in our neighborhood live to problem properties, the more likely they are to have repeated negative incidences and uh, experience extensive criminal activity. And there's also a feeling of being completely ignored or 
mostly ignored by the city. Sure, we have the Avenue Initiative, which is, it's wonderful in that it provides grant money to help businesses and not-for-profits along the Ave um, improve the streetscape and safety and provide opportunities for community enhancement and engagement. And we definitely get grant money for projects run by community leagues and smaller organizations in the neighborhood. But this depends on the manpower of the people in the neighborhood who are already working full-time jobs or who are already running businesses, or who have families who are taking care of their homes. Really, what continues to happen in our neighborhood is when there's problems, well, we come together, we, we knit ourselves together, we have that neighborhood connectedness, we help each other out, we solve the problem to the best of our ability. So dealing with these problems comes down to volunteer capacity. And I don't know about you, each person only has so much capacity to manage things outside of their own personal life and work life. So I just want to go back to the two different perspectives. Primarily, this neighborhood is phenomenal and I love it here. I love my old house. I love the old trees. And if any, anybody is listening and they know me, I love historical architecture. That's my main reason for living in this area. And I pretty much grew up downtown, so I was comfortable and familiar with this kind of neighborhood. But... There are people who move into this area because they find their dream home or a really cute street and they think it's going to be great, but then their whole experience is terrible. Uh, My friend Barb, who lived on 97th Street, she said this, I moved into the area. Ooh, if you can hear any noises in the background, that's my cats playing. They're very active this afternoon. Please ignore them. Okay, this is Barb's experience on 97th Street. I moved into the area because it was affordable and I fell in love with the house. During the five years I lived on the street, my house was broken into four times, even with an alarm system. My cars were broken into a dozen, if not more times. I didn't feel safe letting my daughter play in the yard by herself. While my immediate neighbors were amazing, everyone else on the block, not so much. The meth head crawling in my bedroom window at 3 a.m. was my last straw. Had my house listed and sold within 48 hours. So as someone who loved the feel of the neighborhood, the mature neighborhood with character homes close to the heart of the city, I don't think I could move back unless the issues in the area were seriously addressed. If it was just me and the husband, I would have stayed. But it just wasn't a neighborhood I could raise my kids in. Crime really needs to be addressed in the area. People will say there's crime everywhere, but I can honestly say I felt safer walking at night in the slums of Long Beach than I ever felt living in Spruce Avenue. Ouch. Could you imagine that being your experience in a dream home? That would be horrifying. These are the stories that tend to cast a shadow on our neighborhood. That amount of transgression in one's home and personal space has an effect, particularly on your mental health and your feelings of well-being. So you go to work, you work your butt off all day, you come home, it's supposed to be your safe place, and it never is. You're always on edge. You're always waiting for the next thing to happen. And in Barb's case, the next thing always did happen. So she moved out of the hood. And I've heard this story before. People really try, but they hit their limits and then they leave. We do still have pockets of problems. And the hardest part for us is the feeling of not getting enough support in addressing addressing these issues. For a period of time, the city granted some of our communities within the neighborhood a temporary moratorium on non-market housing in the hopes of addressing some of the concerns attached to the operation of some of these slum houses. 
And this was only a band-aid solution. It was great to have a moratorium so that we could collect our thoughts, kind of get some ideas around what we need to do to move forward. But the problem wasn't poverty. Poverty is not the issue. We have poverty in many areas of the city. It's a lack of responsible stewardship by the owners and operators of rooming houses, flop house rentals, and these problem properties in general, as well as the lack of appropriate action on criminal behavior and disorder around these properties. It has been the lack of support for people in our community who desperately need support. Now, the city has removed the moratorium and there continues to be frustration, of course. It's not, like I said, it's not that, you know, we wanted a moratorium on poor people living in the area or assisted living. That wasn't the problem. The Band-Aid was the moratorium. We are concerned with, with the properties connected to slumlords, criminal behavior, and overwhelming chaos. It does seem to be a concentration of these kinds of properties in our neighborhood. And it's not poverty that's the issue. However, it is the proliferation of not well-supported housing for people who are vulnerable in one area. It's kind of like pushing all of your problems into one area of the city and expecting that city, that sorry, expecting that area to cope. This exact issue was highlighted by an article written and published by Elise Stolte on August 28th of this year in the Edmonton Journal. It's a very well-researched piece and it's really good at highlighting the problems of concentrating poverty, mental health issues and chronic health issues, addiction all in one tiny area without adequate supports. Because what happens is the people experiencing these things, uh, homelessness, poverty, um, addictions, health issues, they're extremely vulnerable and they are doing all that they can to survive, which is fine. But then people, but then they're also vulnerable to predators. And then they also don't have places to properly sleep or to properly go to the washroom or shower. And then there's a huge amount of pressure on people who own businesses and homes in the area to deal with all of the negative impact of that. And then those people who own and businesses and homes in the area start to go through their own major stresses and then their mental health is affected and it just becomes a cycle again of people leaving the neighborhood. <laughs> the problem is, like Elise Stolte points out, this pre pressure of concentration without appropriate supports has created an urban ghetto, in particular in the Macaulay and Boyle communities. If you haven't had the chance yet to listen to CBC's Slum Town by Elizabeth Hames, maybe you should. It's really good. And it highlights these very concerns we have with problem properties in our area. There are also houses that have absentee owners in the area. So not just flop houses and rooming houses, but we also have houses that have absentee owners. People who moved away with the intention of renting out their properties, but it never panned out. Um, so they leave the properties vacant. The properties get broken into, vandalized, often set on fire, Tons of garbage is left everywhere. Um, building materials are stripped out of these houses, strewn all over the ground. And the neighbors have to deal with this on a frequent basis. The garbage, the fires, the noise, the fighting. It's, it's hell. Could you imagine wondering each night when you go to sleep if you're going to be woken by screaming matches or another fire next door? Or loud fighting or the sound of someone breaking into your house? This happens to people in our neighborhood. This happens to people living next to problem properties. Some people say there's too much complaining about needles 
or break-ins or violent behavior in our area and in general. And I I totally agree. That is not what our area is, but it does happen in some pockets of our area. As an area resident, Tracy noted, sometimes our neighborhoods are great. Sometimes they really are not. And that can differ even from street to street, which I am learning. It has felt almost like there has been some censoring of people's experience in the rush to be positive. I like our festivals, but I hate not being able to enjoy my yard, my yard, due to the constant chorus of fuck yous up and down the alley. Both exist, and I can't ignore the shitty parts because of the good parts. And she's right! It's so much easier for me being a little bit away from the problem pockets to pretend that everything's okay. To bring some perspective to this topic, I talked to my friend friend Dave, uh, somebody that we affectionately call Rickshaw Dave because he is a rickshaw operator. He lives near a bunch of problem properties, and he's been very vocal about his experience living next to these properties. He also was interviewed for CBC's Slumtown. You were telling me that CBC, they just contacted you. They just called you directly about the Slumtown podcast? Yeah. Is that what happened? Yeah, I was contacted. Yeah. Somebody said, we're doing a program or a podcast. I can't remember how it was worded. Mm -hmm. And we're interested if you, we're wondering if you'd be interested in being interviewed or like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they approached me. So, so they just went ahead and approached you. They didn't just canvas the neighborhood and find somebody, but they... They had been talking to other people prior oh, to me. Great. Okay. Yeah. I don't know how many. There are numerous people. Yeah. Yeah. To kind of get information for... Okay. And so what were they focused on when they came to talk to you? Was it about the problem properties near you? Was that the focus? Uh, kind of, sort of. Yeah. Yeah. I've got... Uh, I've been vocal and active in issues surrounding, you know, through the community league and at meetings, little mm-hmm. community uh, town halls or whatever you'd want to call them. Right. So, uh, because I'm adjacent to an, a problem property, mm-hmm. a number of them, uh, so I've been active that way. So because of that, there's, I don't know, a, a reputation of some sort, you know? People know, and it's a small community. Right. So then they're like, just talk to this guy kind of thing. Yeah. And he'll give you some more information. So yeah. you're, you said you're adjacent to several problem properties? like. Two- well, there's one uh, nearby, and then you cross the avenue going in one direction, and there's another one, uh, like a problem property. Mm-hmm. And then you go uh, in the opposite direction back uh, a little ways further, uh, a block and a bit, and there's another one. So, I mean, like on just one street within a couple of blocks, there's three properties that have serious, have currently or previously had some pretty serious things happening. Yeah. So with three properties, you know, it's a little different. Like if there's one problem property on the block, everybody goes, OK, well, it's that property. They can always point problems back to that particular property. But then you've got three that, that are near you. So that would really affect your quality of life. Yeah, uh, for or sure. Or you could say... There's, this morning, um, I don't know, five-ish. Let's see when I sent a message. I was awoken by uh, nearby, f- emanating from one of these very places, uh, loud screaming. This a, morning? A guy, yeah, this morning. A guy and a girl, a man and a woman, 
let's see if I can find something here. Uh, looking for a time here. Six. Oh, that's late. I was already up for a while. It was at 6.41, so it happened quite a bit earlier than that. Yeah. That's when I sent a message. Um, anyway, yeah. I, I wasn't planning on getting up before 7. Anyway, that was I, I sent a message at 6.41. I had been up for a little while. Uh, screaming, yeah, it was 5.30, I think it was. Really? Loud, loud, loud screaming. screaming. Ongoing, yeah. Ongoing from 5.30 in the morning. Is that is that common? Does that happen a lot? From one of those, those three Everything's properties. relative. Yeah, it happens a lot. Yeah. It's not a regular thing that you could set a watch by or mark it on a calendar and see a pattern necessarily of every Tuesday at four in the morning or something like that. But it's uh, it's regular. It's ongoing, you know. So would you say there was a, there's at least an instant every few days? Like three or four days? Is it kind of like that? Or do you find it's like, oh... No, it can go longer than... This is what I'm witnessing, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not at my house all the time. That's so there's really stuff going on that I'm unawares of. Right. Um, oblivious to if I'm not at home. Uh, seeing or hearing, you know, right. a neighbor's... Uh, uh, something going on up the street. Right. Because uh, you're not there. That's yeah. a good point. So you're... So really... So it's I'm just witnessing quite a bit. And it's at least once a week, I would say, something... And to, you know, once a week that something like that has happened. And that, that something could just be finding needles in my yard. Right. Yeah. I, right. I, it's I not necessarily a screaming person or a pile yeah. of shit or something. Well, uh, needles, discarded needles is like a pile of shit. It's not good. Yeah. The needles thing. It's interesting because some people get really um, uncomfortable talking about the needle problem um, because they feel like. It's simply an attack on people who use drugs or simply an attack on the um, injection sites. But the reality is it's not pleasant finding needles in your own, on your own property because I, I found one this spring when I was cleaning up my garden. But it, it is really disconcerting when you find one because although we all know that there's certain safety measurements that you, can, you should take, it's still, things can happen, right? Um, so are any of the properties in particular connected in any way to Pervez? Do you know? Directly or indirectly, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's present or his associates who are, you know, involved, intimately involved in numerous ways from what I've seen previously. Mm -hmm. For sure. He's around. He drives by. He, he uh, visits locations and is, you know, visible. That's interesting that he's always keeping himself visible around those properties. That's really interesting, especially when the some uh, the CBC Slum Town podcast, the lawyers and the documents said that you know he wasn't actually the owner, but he's still connected. He's still going to these properties, and he's talked to you before, right? Yeah, yeah. He's he's approached me on a couple of occasions and and talked to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what was like? What was the tone of the conversation? What was he trying to say? Oh, once when I was uh, complaining to a property manager, his associate, right. about a needle on the front yard and the fact that I had kids running around, and she was there, sort of cleaning house. She she was overseeing. I don't know exactly who was doing what, but I mean, like piles of debris and garbage were coming out of the place. It was getting a clean, 
up. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a needle on the front yard, and I was arguing basically with the property manager, his his associate, to uh, pick up the needle, and she just refused and was screaming back at me, "Get off my property!" So anyway, I had a, a camera, and I'm pointing. <laughs> I was sort of having fun making a video at the needle, and then sort of upwards at her as she's saying, get off my property. And then down at the needle, it's like, pick up the needle. Like, what's your problem? Because she had been there for a while, and it's a simple request, right? Mm-hmm. And then I hear this voice, oh, you should listen to the lady. <laughs> and, and I pan over with the camera at the feet, and then up, and there's, you know, Pervez towering above me, because I'm down on the ground filming this, oh up gosh. close to the needle, yeah. Pretty funny. So that was one time, I mean, that was a pretty brief conversation. I'm just like, yeah, whatever, pick up the fucking needle type thing. And then I walked back, you know, three steps and I was off the property. Okay. And so that's like a prop, you said adjacent to you, that property? It's close. It's nearby. Yeah. Nearby. Okay. And so you have kids. Yeah. And you don't exactly want them to be out. No, they're running around playing tag and hide and seek and, you know. All the things that kids are doing usually. Yeah, and they don't stop at some imaginary line in the grass or the lawn, you know, Mm -hmm. on on between properties. There's no fence. Okay. It's like just open. It's open. Between, yeah, open space, yard, 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 along the front. Right, okay. And so are you in, you're Macaulay, right? That's right, yeah. Just across 111th, Okay. And then were there any other, you said you've had a few interactions with Pervez. I I think that there was the one time that he came up to you and he was telling you about all the greats that he was doing. Yeah, he pulled over. I was working in my front yard and he uh, slowed down. He was driving his truck and uh, rolled down the passenger window on my side and uh, says, hey, what's happening or something? I don't know, you know, he engaged you know started a conversation and uh and it's a narrow little spot with vehicles parked on both sides of the road so it's basically one way trap like one vehicle traffic and uh somebody wanted to get by so he pulled ahead pulled over and you know we spoke but he spoke about 90 percent, 95 percent of the time and i listened you know for i don't know 15 20 minutes he mm-hmm. was talking to me with his window down, and I think he was idling the whole time. It was driving me fucking nuts. <laughs> and, uh, like, the his truck was in uh, park, but he's sitting in his driver's seat, and I'm standing on the sidewalk, and he's talking to me, saying, you know, he's been misrepresented, and he's a swell guy, and he has tenants who he's given a break, you know, people who are just out of jail or something. And um, he approached me, and he's he's, like defending kind of his his uh reputation he's defending his reputation and uh he was just going on and on and uh, he buys turkeys for his tenants at christmas and stuff that's all fine you know that's good good for him but um he also mentioned something about his kids and money and they're taken care of and i'm like whatever like you're filthy rich i get that he said you know i've sold my properties or whatever i'm no longer in the business and not in those exact words, but that was what, what mm-hmm. he was conveying, that he wasn't uh, doing that, uh, being a, a property owner of n- like hundreds or 70, you know, 70, 80, 90, 100 properties any mm-hmm. longer. He, he has turned over a lot, you know, in the past. But anyway, he's, you know, saying he's taken care of and his kids are taken care of. They have nothing to worry about financially. I can't remember 
how the conversation veered to that, that mm-hmm. he was defending his well-to-do That's children's really future. Odd. Yeah, so he was going on about what a nice guy he is and how he's given back to the community. So, you know, I just don't buy it. When you've got a property that's bringing in huge revenue because it's got plenty of rooms with lots of tenants being overcharged market value. Absolutely. And then it's being mismanaged. So, like, if, per se, you got, as he boasts, that you've got a person just out of jail. In hard to house yeah, individual. Need, they need a place. Yeah. Uh, uh, landlords ask for reference letters and stuff. These people can't get them. So they're limited in their options oftentimes. So if indeed he's giving a person just out of jail, let's just imagine that person's in jail for dealing drugs or, or some criminal activity where there's restrictions. I don't know what it's called. When you're released. Oh, the parole. With, the parole yeah. Uh, you can't violate. Yeah. You know, you can't associate perhaps with certain people mm-hmm. you can't own a gun or, or carry a weapon or something and you know like curfewing yeah yeah too. so if he's housing one of these persons who's got issues and, and knowing that everyone's got issues i don't i don't have issues with people, people having, having issues, issues. Yeah. <laughs> um so if there's a, a person who's heavily medicated who goes through crazy ass mood swings and then there's also a person who you suspect might be turning tricks or working the streets and using. So you've got like, you've got prostitution potentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got drug use, rampant drug use, because you've got needles everywhere. You know what's happening. Mm-hmm. If you've got six rooms with house guests coming and going and there's needles there all the time. I mean, like, it's obvious. Mm-hmm. Any property manager who's responsible at all. You could at least, you know, put up one of those yellow box things or whatever, you know, yeah. a collection thing on site. So a property like that is earning, generating a lot of money and it's totally mismanaged, right? Or yeah. not managed. They say there's a property manager or something, but the place going to shit with ongoing stuff, mm-hmm. it shouldn't be happening. A properly managed building, you know, has rules and they're enforced. Mm-hmm. And if you have to pay more, to somebody who's better able to do that in the sense you know like a, a real like security guard who's mm-hmm. trained in something at uh convenience stores now and gas stations mm-hmm. right they've, yeah, got, they've like, got them everywhere they've got them like patrolling the friggin store to stop shoplifting to make sure people aren't doing anything you know uh, bad stealing things whatever the case may be and they up up it you know they up the level of monitoring things they don't just have one person behind the counter anymore in a store all alone at four in the morning when drunks come in and well crazy stuff happens so it's the same thing with these houses they're problem properties that's just a snippet of my interview with rickshaw dave if you want to listen to the full interview it's on my website it's all good in the hood norwood.com so the people who have been living with these problem properties for years decades even even the quality of life for these people adjacent or near these properties is disrupted by the constant fighting, violence, messes, criminal activity, disorder, uh, needles, etc., etc., etc. And it doesn't matter where you live in the city, you should have a certain reasonable quality of life. Sirens, fires, fights constantly, that's not a quality of life. And I had the privilege of meeting somebody who lived in one of these properties, and this person told me that she wasn't allowed to have a lock on her door and all the other people in the house she said were druggies and they were fighting all the time and they kept stealing her stuff 
So she just left. She would rather be on the street than constantly having to deal with people passed out in the corridor or people stealing her stuff or people threatening to fight her and the constant yelling and screaming. So these houses aren't good for the neighbors, but these houses are not good for the people who live in them. The hardest thing about all of this is the lack or seeming lack of city support. EPS can only do so much. Macaulay and Boyle Street are in the downtown uh, district. The downtown EPS district is a pretty busy district. The rest of us, well, we're in the Northwest district and we, we do get really good EPS service. There's only so much that they can do for us. Another concern that we've had is that bylaw officers time and time again have been giving warnings over giving fines to these problem property owners. I understand just giving warnings if it's a, a homeowner who isn't aware of certain things or maybe got behind on something because they're, they've been ill or injured or what have you. But these are properties that are consistently having bylaw complaints made about them and yet consistently warnings are issued. I had several area residents show me on their phone, on their 311 app, the tracking of their complaints about these properties. And time and time again, the complaints show warning issued, complaint closed. Warning issued, complaint closed. But if this is a problem property, if this is a, uh, a property owner who's consistently having these bylaw infractions, these warnings are not going to solve the problem. There has to be something with a little bit more teeth. So when these properties or crime in general cause problems in our hood, the community members are the ones who get out and do the work. Um, in Macaulay, there's a group that have been purchasing derelict properties and building and building low-cost duplexes but it's these people it's the citizens that have to pull the permits to find out who the owners of these properties are and they have to organize meetings and they have to call and write their city councillors and call 311 and call media and call EPS and go to sustainable development appeal boards and work tirelessly to demand that something be done and sometimes something happen happens, such as a handful of denials to add third or fourth suites in rooming houses that really shouldn't have had two suites to begin with, or media starts shining a light on our concerns. So yes, community members have banded together and started fighting and organizing, but it's an exhausting cycle and it's a little bit unfair on people who are just volunteers. It is great that community members get to have a say in changes to their communities and they get to be involved and be active, but in practice, there's only so much time and information and, oh gosh, resources that these volunteers have. Plus, we're not police officers, so there's only so much we can do. The point that I'm making here is that our true grit, our community connectedness and volunteerism are wonderful things, but they are consistently having to stand in for government and authoritative action. And people get tired, and our mental health is affected because it's stressful and it's exhausting. So why aren't we getting support? Why consistently have these problems been allowed to proliferate? There's so many different ideas and theories and whispers about the reasons and the deficiencies. But one thing that's really important to remember here is one, I'm not a journalist. I'm just somebody who likes to do my own investigative research. Two, I only have so much time. There's only so much I can look into. Three, correlation does not necessarily denote causation. So what do I mean? What I mean is, say you got two different pieces of information about the month of March. One, consumers buy more blue jeans in the month of March than any other month. And two, TV watchers watch more basketball in the month of March than the rest of the year. 
But just because those two things go up doesn't necessarily mean one or the other causes each other. Buying blue jeans doesn't necessarily mean you're going to watch more basketball or watching more basketball doesn't necessarily mean you're going to buy blue jeans. Essentially, people come up with theories as to why we aren't getting the attention that we need to get. One of the things I noted was that in Macaulay and Boyle Street, because they are downtown, they're under count star Scott McKean. I've seen Scott McKean and heard Scott McKean be quoted many times about problem properties. But the rest of our hood is under the purview of Councillor Tony Caterina. And I've only ever heard him get quoted in media once about problem properties. This article is from September 29th, 2015. Just three weeks after a landlord won permission for a basement suite in a Parkdale rental house, nearly a year after city staff first inspected it, the province's health authority has found the whole house unfit for human habitation. Our people haven't got a clue what the hell they're doing, said Councillor Tony Caterina, floored that none of the health problems were highlighted by city staff. I need a complete report on what went on here, Caterina said. This one really smells. And then he also said, we know the circumstances in Macaulay, in Parkdale, and in some of the other neighborhoods. This isn't the first property of its kind that's come forward, and again, the community had to be the ones to appeal it. I'm so mad right now. In this article, and the responses that he gave, Tony Caterina gave to the journal, it sounded like he was on our side and wanted to help us with problem properties. It just feels like since we're still having these problems with problem properties, our counselor doesn't care. However, maybe he's been working in the background, but it is really hard to say without direct engagement from the counselor. Maybe it was the CBC Slumtown podcast, or maybe this was in the plan for a while. The city seemed to be listening, finally. On October 29th, the city held a town hall meeting to allow for citizens to share their experiences living next to problem properties. This is really great, but it was on a Tuesday, a weekday, and it comes down to people having time to appear before council. Not everybody can. However, citizens did go, and the city actually seemed to, to want to take a proactive stance. Virginia Potkins, a, an active resident and a member of the Alberta Avenue Community League Board, was present at this meeting and she took a picture of everything that the city wrote down about what their action plan intends to do. That administration engaged with the Edmonton Community Development Corporation, Home Ed, as well as other stakeholders including Edmonton Police, Alberta Health, and other related provincial and municipal agencies as well as affected communities to develop an aggressive problem properties action plan that includes redeveloping problem housing. The strategy, strategy should also include innovative enforcement and legal strategies that recognize safe housing as a human right. This is wonderful. This is essentially what the community members have been saying for a long time. We don't want these problem properties, but we don't necessarily want people slung out on the street. Good, safe, supportive housing should be considered a human right, but so should living in a safe community. We'll see how it goes. However, with these substantial budget cuts coming down from the provincial government, there just might not be the resources to put this action plan into place. So we'll see what comes of it. I, I, I'm optimistic because I choose to be optimistic just because of who I am. Okay, I'm going to stop here because this is a long one and I have another part. And the other part is simply on crime statistics in the last few months in the hood. So take care, be safe, be well, and I guess now be warm. It's winter. And I do still think that it's all good. Well, mostly good.
in the hood. 